You're listening to the Truth and Boots podcast. Join me as we search the Bible for truth about our God, for hope to encourage us through hard trials and struggles, and for answers for anyone who questions our faith. The truth of God's Word is not fragile, impractical, and only used on special occasions like a pair of stiletto heels. God's Word, like a pair of sturdy boots, is meant to be put to work daily and is designed to protect us and help us through the mud, streams, and rocks of life. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is part three in a series on overcoming temptation. I hope it's been a blessing to you so far. And if it is, I ask that maybe you just share it with one friend, one relative that you think might get an encouragement from it too. We all struggle with temptation and we all need encouragement. We all need reminders of what scripture says. Today, we are going to see a biblical example of how someone successfully overcame temptation. Now, to give you a hint on who this person is, he was faced with the thought of, I'm alone. No one knows if I'm going to do this. So what's the harm? Or God promised me I would get this reward. So why can't I just help him by speeding it up a little bit? Or he also faced agony of grief over what he knows God wants him to do. A grief because he would go through this situation alone. A grief because he asked his friends for help and they didn't seem to care that much. They left him to deal with it alone. A grief because he knew that he did not deserve what was about to happen to him. But yet he fought. He, even though he did not want to do it, he asked God, let this cup pass from me. He fought in agony to resist the temptation to exercise his power and call 10,000 angels to save him from the cross. Yes, today we are discussing Christ's example in overcoming temptation. Matthew 4 is the passage you immediately think of, but we'll be looking at two different passages today. This is a passage that I came to when I was struggling with resisting my own major temptation of succumbing to spending time in a fantasy world. I gained a lot of blessing from studying it, and I hope it's a blessing to you as well. The passage setting is that Jesus was just baptized. He had a great moment of public victory of public um, honor, having God say from heaven and the spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's driven into the desert to be tempted by God's plan to be tempted by Satan. 
So the setting is the middle of the desert, and some commentators believe this is the Sinai Desert even, where the Israelites wandered for 40 years. So Christ is there for 40 days fasting. He is alone. He is starving. And I'm sure with being hungry and out in the middle of nowhere and having no shelter, he's probably not getting much sleep either because he's got little protection from the elements. So he's alone, he's hungry, he's exhausted, he's probably physically miserable in other aspects. And then Satan comes to him to tempt him. Jesus is in the middle of the wilderness all alone. And Satan says, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Christ is hungry. It makes sense. Make yourself some food. You made the worlds. So make yourself some food. And then the second temptation, Satan takes him to the temple in Jerusalem with all of the leaders in the city and of the Jewish faith. And Satan says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. And the third one Satan takes him up to a high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and says, all these I, will I give to thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. What struck me when I was going through this was Christ's response. His response starts with each time it is written. It is written. It's small little words, but so powerful. Because God gave us our Bibles so that we could have the sword of the Spirit, a defense against Satan, a defense against our own hearts, our own sinful hearts. You overcome temptation by focusing on the truths of Scripture. So here's an illustration that I absolutely love. Think about a hamburger, a juicy, flavorful hamburger with an awesome homemade sauce. I mean, this thing has cheese that's melting luxuriously across it, and, and it, it just glistens with juiciness. I mean, do you have that image? It's a beautiful burger, the best one you've seen in your life. Okay, now stop thinking about the hamburger. I mean it. Don't think about the pickles. Don't think about the crunch of the fat, fresh lettuce. Don't think about that smell of the freshly made homemade bun. What's wrong with you? Why can't you stop thinking about this hamburger? Ignore the delicious smells coming off of it. Exercise self-control and just stop thinking about it. You know you're not supposed to think about the hamburger. I told you not to. So why are you failing to quit? It doesn't take much. Just a little bit of willpower and then you can push the thoughts about this hamburger, this awesome, juicy, luxurious hamburger right out of your head. Okay, that's ludicrous, isn't it? But that's what we do when we try to resist temptation a lot of time. We're like, no, I, I don't want that piece of chocolate. I know it's great, I know it's tasty, but I just have to think that the chocolate's not good for me. I don't want it. No, I do want the chocolate. No, I'm going to put it out of my mind, but I'm still thinking about the chocolate. 
or maybe it's um, a cigarette or maybe it's porn or maybe it's the fact that you're not sure of your salvation so you're just going to dwell on it and and remind yourself of all the things you've done wrong and why you're not sure you're saved you can't force yourself to stop thinking about something without choosing to replace it with something else so let's try this again think about the hamburger visualize the smell the texture, how awesome it looks just sitting there on the plate begging you to eat it. But we're not going to eat it. Nope. We're going to think about the person sitting across the table from us. Your best friend. What is your favorite thing about his or her personality? How'd you guys meet? Remember how he or she made you laugh that one time that you nearly burst your ribs? What's going on in your friend's life right now? What's really important to him or her right now? Now see what I did right there? Now you're focused on the important thing about this dinner you're having here. It's not the hamburger. It's who you're eating the dinner with. And that is exactly what you need to do with temptations. Take your mind off the temptation and focus instead on your God. Remember what he said in scriptures. Remember that he has promised you freedom, that he has sacrificed himself because he loves you. Remember that he created this world full of good things for you. He made the sun to give you energy, to brighten your day. He made the stars to make you wonder at his majesty. Use scripture. Focus your mind on your God. And that will enable you to forget the temptation that you're trying to overcome. And secondly, use scripture as the basis for your response, just like Christ did. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I want to contrast this with someone else in scripture. Eve, the first person to succumb to temptation and commit sin. Christ quoted scripture verbatim, but Eve didn't. Eve quoted God's words, but she kind of embellished them a little bit. She said, yes, we're not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good of evil or even touch it lest we die. So that was the first mistake. She embellished it a little bit. She, she spun it. She did not take scripture at its face value. And then, of course, she went a step further and justified her desires. Christ did not address his desires at all in his response. He started with scripture and he stopped with scripture. So that's the first thing I noticed from this passage. Christ's focus on the scriptures. It is written. Now the second thing I noticed was the phrase, he was hungry. Verse 2, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards was a hungered. So he was a hungered and he was in the wilderness. So... 
he's starving and alone. And again, let's contrast this with Eve. Eve was well fed. She had a great companion, Adam. She wasn't alone. And she was in a paradise. But Christ is alone, starving, and in a desert. The worst of circumstances were at our weakest at that point. So recognize that during isolation and weakness, that's when Satan most likely will choose to tempt you. But you always have to be ready. Because 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I personally fell back into sin fantasies when I was emotionally or physically exhausted. That was the catalyst. Now, the reason I fell was because I was not grounded in scripture on a daily basis. But the catalyst was my emotional physical exhaustion. So if you are in the heat of a battle, be aware that those are your weak points. The devil likes to also make us apathetic. So when everything is perfect and going well, and you think, yes, my relationship with God is great, so I can skip a day. It won't matter. I don't need my quiet time with God today. No. Stay vigilant. Even when things are good. I want to contrast Christ's response with someone else as well, Esau's. Genesis chapter 25, verses 30 through 32, show how Esau lost his birthright. We all know that Esau was born first, but Jacob was the person that was promised would receive the blessing and the inheritance. That's what God said to Rebekah. Now Esau comes back in from working hard and he's exhausted and starving and he says to his brother Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew from exhausted. He's feeling some of the same things that Christ was feeling, exhaustion and starvation. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for one bowl of stew. As opposed to Christ, who refuses to sell his birthright as the son of God to be able to satiate his starving stomach with Satan's first temptation. I just thought that was so interesting and such a beautiful contrast. Okay, the third thing I learned from this passage kind of embodied in the third temptation. All these lands, all these nations, I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. That is the temptation that Christ is faced with. Now to truly understand this, you have to go back to the Old Testament prophecies and promises. Psalm 2 promises that someday the Messiah, Christ, will obtain rule of the earth as his inheritance. But that is someday. And Christ knows that is after his crucifixion. And this temptation of Satan's, of immediate gratification, shows up in each of his three temptations, actually. First, he says to Jesus, you're starving. Just eat now instead of waiting for the Father's timing. 
Second, he says, why wait for God's timing to show that you're the Messiah? Prove it now. Jump off the temple. Or three, you think the last 40 days alone, starving in obscurity was hard? You've got a lot of suffering ahead of you to get your inheritance. Just worship me and you won't have to go through that suffering. You can have it all. The notoriety, the authority, the opulence, the prestige. Now. You can do great things with that. All you have to do is worship me. We live in a culture that loves instant gratification, and it can be hard to wait for the proper time for each of God's promises. Christ waited for food, waited to make himself known as the Messiah, waited to receive his inheritance so that he could follow God's perfect plan. So too, we should wait for God's timing. So if the temptation is to rush, the temptation is to take something now that God is not ready to give you, wait. Because look at the consequences of what would have happened if Christ didn't wait. If he gave in to the last temptation and worshipped Satan, then he would have skipped the key element of God's plan for his life. A perfect sacrifice to take away mankind's sin. That would have left us alone in our struggle, in our fight against sin, and we cannot overcome it. So trust in God's timing for things because his plan is best. Now we're going to move to a second passage, which you probably did not think of when you thought of Christ resisting temptation. Matthew 26 verses 36 through 46 is Christ's agony in Gethsemane just before Judas betrays him. He has had a huge week being heralded as the Messiah, confronting the religious leaders in the temple, encouraging his disciples, trying to teach them about what's going to happen in a few days and after he's gone. And then he has the Last Supper, and tells Judas, go ahead and betray me. And now he's in the garden. He is with his disciples. And he says, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. Notice that phrase, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Christ was suffering greatly in his emotions. And the first thing he did when he was alone with his three closest friends was to acknowledge his emotions to them. Put a name to what you're feeling instead of trying to push it aside or let it rule you. Because once you identify and recognize what you're feeling, then you can start to deal with it rather than letting it control you. Having emotions is part of being made in the image of God. But we have many wrong emotions as well. And sometimes they are so strong that we let them consume us. So we need to recognize, like I said in the last episode, that the motions do not dictate your choices. You acknowledge them so that you can deal with them with the truth of scriptures and then let your mind teach your heart. 
Now, the second thing Christ said here, he said, I'm sorrowful even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. He asked the support of his closest friends. When you are facing temptation, when you have a sin struggle that you're trying to overcome, do not do it on your own. That is one of the devil's biggest snares. He wants you to keep your sins secret so that you can't get help. He makes you feel so ashamed about it that you do not want to speak with it about anyone. Find someone that you trust, someone that is spiritually strong, that you know cares about you. This may be a spouse. This may be a sibling. This may be a spiritual leader at your church. Choose someone that you know will hold you accountable. Tell them what you're dealing with. Maybe ask them for their counsel. But above all, ask them to pray for you. Watch and pray. That's what Christ asked. And this is taught elsewhere in scripture too. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for the toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Those are the words of the wisest man on earth, Solomon, spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You are stronger when you have someone beside you. And then Hebrews 10 verse 24 also says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That is our God-given responsibility with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to stir, we are to encourage each other to good works. So ask for that encouragement from someone. The third thing Christ speaks when he comes into the garden is a prayer. Verse 39, he says, and he, went a little farther, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. There, this prayer is in three of the four Gospels, but Mark's has a beautiful pattern. Christ says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but that what thou wilt. Christ first recognizes his relationship with God. He says, Abba, Father. A father is someone who cares about his child. God is the perfect pattern of a father. So he cares for you. Other aspects of your relationship with God is that he is your loving savior and he's your powerful creator and that means all things are possible for him he created the universe everything is possible for him and when christ says all things are possible for you he is reminding himself of god's character and that is the next thing you need to do in this prayer of agony as you resist temptation. Recognize your relationship. Recognize God's character. 
rehearse them to yourself, rehearse the truths, preach truth to yourself of who God is, what he's capable of, and then, like Christ did, ask for God's help. Christ asked for God to remove the cup from him, to remove, to not have to go to the cross. But in the end of your prayer, you need to submit yourself to the will of God, whatever his plan is. So it might be a temptation not to do something God wants you to do. It might be a temptation to want to do something God doesn't want you to do. Whatever you're asking, submit your own will to God's plan. Because sometimes what we're asking for, even if it's good, it might not be according to his timing. So we need to accept what his plan is. And by submitting your will, you're also dealing with your attitude towards God's plan. Now remember, God may not remove a difficult situation but he will empower you so that you can deal with it correctly. And the final thing we can learn about Christ's temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane is found in Luke. Luke twenty-two forty-four. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Christ fought the temptation to avoid the cross so hard that he literally bled. Don't expect resisting temptation to be easy. You have to put in effort to choose God over your sin. Some temptations will be easier than others, but they all require a choice from you. And when you make that choice to resist temptation, you will need to cling to God even more earnestly through your weakness, just as Christ did. But remember what Christ's focus was. Abba, Father, it is written, your focus should be on your Savior and what he says and who he is, what he has done for you. Focus on that person. Focus on your God, the person across the table right in front of you, instead of the temptation of the, the sin, the hamburger, sitting there in between you. Because that focus is what will enable you to rely upon his power, his strength, to overcome your temptation.